to follow Jesus is to walk against the grain of culture. And to follow Jesus is to walk against the grain of your own personal preferences and opinions. If we don't know that, if we don't expect that following Jesus will run against the grain of our culture and our personal preference, we're going to end up trying to find a way to fit Jesus with our culture and fit Jesus with our preferences. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. To please Jesus is usually not to run with the crowd, but to run against the crowd. I've been thinking a lot lately about really basic ideas like truth, really basic ideas like the necessity of having a relationship with your Bible, lest your own desires deceive you and lest your culture sweep you away and your discipleship not be recognizable by Jesus as discipleship. I've been thinking a lot recently about how Every single person who has ever lived will stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. And that it is not our opinions that will matter on that day, but his. It is not our ideas, our theologies, our political views, our personality profiles, our experiences. What will matter is what he says and what he sees and what he thinks and what he believes. That's already the only thing that matters now. This is not like, I don't feel like I'm having deep thoughts lately as much as I'm having surprising thoughts because I've been the relationship with Jesus guy and I've been the, hey man, the Pharisees were the ones who were experts in the Bible guy. So let's be careful not to become just about doctrine and, and biblical knowledge and I still agree everything with all that. But there, what can happen sometimes in our circle, Mennonite circles, is that we can so poo-poo knowledge and understanding as to accidentally discourage people from seeking true knowledge and true understanding. We can somehow accidentally encourage a kind of laziness and an undisciplined attitude that says, you know, if we really try hard, the Pharisees tried hard to be right and look where it got them. Paul says to young Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Notice how he's piling on weight to what he's about to tell him to do. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus 
who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word. That seems so simple. Why do you need to pile up all this eschatological freight to just tell him, preach Bible, dude. Don't preach your opinions. Don't preach psychology. Don't preach the wisdom of the age. Don't, don't preach your experience. Preach Bible. Like, why, why, why does Paul have to work so hard to make sure Timothy preaches Bible? He knows. She knows. Who, who am I? Who's saying? Who's doing that? She? Yeah, she knows. Preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer tolerate sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. That sounds like pretty dire, right? It just just makes me say, man, I hope you're not dependent in an unhealthy way on on leaders. Like, I hope you have your own relationship with Jesus, your own prayer life, your own hearing the voice of God, your own clean conscience, your own sincere faith, your own pure heart, and your own understanding of intimate relationship with the books of the Bible. Because if, if you don't have that, you are vulnerable to leaders. You are vulnerable to bloggers. You are vulnerable to YouTube channels. You are vulnerable to personal opinions of your friends. You're vulnerable to television shows that come from pagan worldviews. And by the way, you know I'm a Netflix guy and a YouTube guy and a music guy. I'm not a don't, don't be in, don't, you know, it's... I'm not a, oh my good, let's be Amish. I don't know. I think that's a terrible idea. But what's required is knowledge. What, What people are missing is the knowledge of God. And they're only missing it because they didn't savor it and treasure it and pursue it and honor it and seek more of it. So God gives us over when we reject the knowledge of God and don't consider it worth retaining. It says in Romans 1, he'll hand us over. He'll give us what we insist on if we push hard enough against him. He'll say, okay, fine, have it your way. And then when we have it our way, we become less and less like him. But what if we retain this knowledge and what if we treasure it and what if we seek more of it? Carrie's been reading Proverbs and processing situations with people close to us who are, you know, not making good choices. And she's reading Proverbs and she's seeing just this imperative to seek wisdom, to seek understanding. With all you're getting, get understanding. Get wisdom. It'll preserve your life. So to follow Jesus means to go against the grain of your culture. It will always mean that because your culture 
See, if, if you're embedded in your culture and your views come from your culture, then you're going to bump into the things in the scripture that Jesus says he requires or what he doesn't approve of or what he does approve of or how life works or how money works or how sexuality works or whatever the issue is. And you're going you're gonna, to, because you're embedded in a culture, you, were born in a, you weren't born in a vacuum, you come from somewhere and some time. There were people who shaped you. There are shaping forces in your life more than just Jesus. That was to get my microphone back on if you didn't see it. My super glued microphone that I just fixed. There are shaping forces in your life other than Jesus. And, and now when you follow him, he will have to unschool you in what life wrongly schooled you. You'll know the truth. Romans, John chapter 8, Jesus says, abide in my word. If you continue in my word, you're my disciples, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. And then, of course, the people he's talking to say, what are you even talking about? We are not slaves. And he says, no, you are. You're slaves to sin. And you've been schooled, you've been homeschooled by your father, the devil. These, you've got to understand, these are Bible-believing, synagogue-attending Jews. You know, that's, that's, so now I'm doing the thing that I always do. If, to put it in our cultural context, these are... I was baptized with my class at 15, confirmed or whatever if you're Catholic or if you're, these are church going, tithing, attending, Bible reading, Sunday school teaching Mennonites or whatever. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, but you're a slave to sin. And they're offended by that as just as you and I would be if he said that to us. <laughs> what do you, who do you think you are? You know, and then usually what he says is just, who do you think you are? You know, I'm somebody. Rooted in what? Based on what? I do all this stuff. Okay, knowledge of good and evil. Okay, see, this is why we got to start over, repent, and receive the kingdom as though you're little children and start over from the beginning because all the stuff you're doing is keeping you from receiving what I've already done. That is free. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you the path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil and then you'll have healing for your body and strength for your bones. This is so basic, right? To follow Jesus will mean going against the grain of your culture. To follow Jesus will mean going against the grain of your own preferences and opinions. Your own understanding will be violated. And so again, sometimes we get the impression from certain passages of scripture that wisdom is bad. Like 1 Corinthians says that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God and the gospel of God, which is the wisdom of God, is foolishness to people. And, and so you get this impression that it's the folly of the cross that saves, so we shouldn't seek wisdom. You get that impression. Wrongly get that impression. But what it's really talking about is how worldly wisdom is bad Because if you read later in that passage in 1 Corinthians, what he says is among the mature, we do speak a message of wisdom. But what we speak is spiritual things taught to us by the Spirit of God himself. And unless you're spiritual, you don't even know what we're talking about. So he's not anti-wisdom, is he? He's anti-worldly wisdom. Or we hear 1 Corinthians 8, Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then we say, that's why I'm never going to go study the Bible. I don't want to be a Pharisee. 
And that's not what Paul's saying at all. Paul had more biblical knowledge than most of the people who disagreed with him. But winning arguments and being smart is irrelevant in the kingdom. Because intellect, intellect, intelligence, isn't the same thing at all as wisdom. Those aren't even related. How many extremely brilliant idiots do you know? You can make an iPhone, but you can't love your kids correctly. What's that all about? Well, I'd like one of the newer ones that has optical stabilization on the lenses. She's all like, who wants an iPhone? And I'm like, well, I got this cheap Motorola because it's all I can afford. But are you hearing me? We're, we're, we are meant to seek a wisdom culture doesn't have and humans do not have unless they get it from grace, from God, in relationship. We're meant to seek understanding. We're meant to seek the knowledge of God. Not the kind of knowledge that puffs up. The kind of knowledge that says I'm right. The kind of knowledge that's there to prove my position. But the knowledge of God that comes through hearing and obeying the word of God. This is so basic. It's like, I'm like, why am I even saying this to you? The Bible has tons to say about the benefit. The Bible has tons to say about the necessity of setting ourselves on a path of intentionally seeking and getting more understanding. Proverbs 4, 7, wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom and whatever else you get, get understanding. Jesus says in Matthew 13, it says his disciples came to ask him, why do you teach in parables? Like, why are you making it as obscure as you can why don't you put all the cookies on the bottom shelf where everyone can reach them and he and essentially what he's saying is i intentionally put the cookies on the top shelf so that not everyone can reach them i want you to have to work to get it i love that it's like a song that you write out of your pain and you don't understand till 10 years later why you wrote verse 3. Love that stuff. You're like, I don't see how these two images are even related. And then 10 years later, you're like, ah, now I get it. That's Jesus' teachings. He puts things in such a place that if you don't really hunger and thirst for him, if you don't really set yourself to humble yourself and seek understanding, you'll never get it. Amen. So they say, why do you teach in parables? And he says, you're permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding, I want you to hear, see I'm emphasizing certain words here, the words that get poo-pooed. To those who really listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. I like it. It's red letters. But for those who are not listening, you know what I'm talking about. It's like I'm reading this for a class. 
Oh, and you're like, how many times do I have to read this paragraph before it even remotely begins to register as language? My eyes keep passing over the words. Oh, man. Well, I read chapter three. Translation, I skimmed it with no comprehension or concern. Why? Because it isn't relevant or interesting to my life. How many times in the New Testament does Paul pray for the Spirit of God to usher the saints into the knowledge of God that is given in Christ? Just like, just, you don't have to turn to any of these passages. It's usually the beginning of a book, a beginning of a letter of Paul. He'll start with some sort of greeting and then a prayer. And in that prayer, very often, is this use of the word knowledge. So obviously, there's some sort of knowledge that will puff up and make you a proud person who thinks you're right and other people are stupid and they're lucky to have you. But then there's a different kind of knowledge that will make you the kind of person who loves deeply and well. And this is the kind of knowledge Paul's praying for. Ephesians 1. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I could go on from Ephesians, but I'm going to skip forward to Philippians. Philippians 1. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives. Like this knowledge of God we're seeking is rooted in a desire to please the Lord, not ourselves. Like, I, I, I'm, I, this sounds so basic. I know I keep saying this is so basic. This is so basic. But if you haven't set yourself to please the Lord, not yourself, that is the root of deception in your life. The, the so-called knowledge that people will run after and find teachers that will itch their itching ears, that is the knowledge of people who want to be pleased, not please Jesus. That sounds so, like, what are you, you, are you, you're accusing these people of not being godly and that's why they're deceived. Yup. You sounds like you're saying if you sincerely want to please the Lord, he's going to make himself known. That's super arrogant. Is it or is it faith? Like, I really believe that. Without missionaries and without Bibles, people who want to know God can know God. I'm not shooting down having missionaries and Bibles. There are levels of knowledge and understanding that cannot be arrived at without them. But there are realities of relationship that can be arrived at that are valid without them. You might not believe that, but David didn't have a missionary and didn't know the name Jesus. Enoch walked with God and there was no missionary. Abraham was not evangelized. I really believe this. The Lord is found by those who seek him. He's also found by some who don't. And that's when us missionaries come in. God's seeking people who aren't seeking him. So he sends his people to the people he wants to make his people so they can become his people who weren't his people. And then if you want to get even more confusing, he sends his non-elect who became his elect to those who used to be elect who no longer are. 
Romans, Romans 9 through 11. It's like the slam dunk of the Calvinists. It also seems to contradict their Calvinism, if you look carefully at certain portions. Anyway. But we are meant to seek a knowledge we don't have by nature and that we're not going to get from culture. But we'll never get it if we don't set ourselves to have like sort of certain basic desires is that I don't exist to please me. I exist to find a way to live my life with Christ in a way that, is gen- that genuinely brings joy to God the Father's heart. Amen. Now if I do that, that means that there will be times that I set myself to bring grief to my heart as I have to let go of things that I really want or think. Because like, how many of you have learned already that there are times when you don't agree with God? I don't see enough hands. It's like, there we go, two hands, three, four, five, six, seven. There are times when I don't agree. I don't agree with what you said to me. I don't agree with your assignment for me. I don't agree with your stance on this issue. I don't agree. And, but like, if you can't admit that, if you're just smart, like, okay, intelligent versus wisdom, right? Intelligent, you will find a way to justify your position using Bible verses. Wisdom, I admit that God and I aren't on the same page on this, which means now it's going to go through a season where, as I submit before, I understand understanding comes later. Are you hearing me? Where, I was somewhere in Philippians. Anyway, let's go to Colossians. Colossians 1. Again, so we not stop praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete, there it is again, the word, knowledge of his, I, you know I'm pushing this so hard, right? So that never again will you have an attitude that reading your Bible and obeying the voice of Jesus is not an extremely important activity. Or that theology doesn't matter. Theology is not enough, but theology matters. Of course, theology is not enough. You can go to hell and be right. The demons have the right, good doctrine. You know, they believe all the right things. They can explain the Trinity far better than me. Doctrinally, they just hate the Trinity. And I might love the Trinity and get some doctrinal things wrong and Jesus be pleased. I'd rather be right and please the Lord. <laughs> we ask God to give you complete, Colossians 1, 9. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will. Why would he ask for God to give you complete knowledge of his will if it's not possible to have it? I mean, like sometimes we push so much off into the mystery realm that we, we don't understand we've been given the mind of Christ. So we quote 1 Corinthians again that says, you know, for um, no, my, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we go, isn't that amazing? It's just beyond what we can ever imagine. Then we skip reading the next verse which says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And then Tim's head explodes. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Like, or you can coast and trust that the pre- it's the preacher's job to do it. Ah, it's terrifying. 
2 Peter 1. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God, of, of God and Jesus our Lord. And then he goes on and talks about this lengthy growth process where these building blocks are put in an order and built upon each other. Verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always got that goal in mind. This is about pleasing the Lord. Am I selling this yet? Are you buying this product that I'm selling, which is, hey, you need to set yourself to gain understanding and knowledge of the Lord. Because if you don't, you'll be deceived right along with your own dumb generation, whatever generation that is. Like sometimes we get this idea that like ancient peoples were just stupid and modern peoples are great. We put a, we got self, we got the, we got cell phones, man. You know we're better than ancient people. Foundational principles first. If we don't settle our foundational principles, God is God, I am not. I exist to please him and not the other way around. If, like, if that doesn't get settled, then you just open yourself to take the Bible and use it for your agendas. Your conservative agendas, your liberal agendas, your personal sin agendas, your I'm not going to forgive so-and-so agendas, whatever it is, your agendas. Like, how, whatever it is, your agendas. Like, I, again, I say it all the time. The human heart is what determines our beliefs because our mind naturally will justify, rationalize, make sense of what our heart has already chosen. So when I choose, I'm going to love my wife, guess what? My mind stops working on all the arguments for how she's an idiot. But if I choose that I'm going to stay mad at her with my heart, then my brain goes to work making sure that that position is solidified using reason and evidence. When I set myself to, I'm going to submit to Jesus on the issue of like, my, let's say when I was a young man and I was like, okay, sex belongs inside of marriage and not only does sex belong inside of marriage, but Jesus is even clearer, he's even clearer that lust in the heart is going down a path that's already sinful. So lust, masturbation, fornication, all this, all this is off limits for me because I've said I'm here to please Jesus, not myself. Now, if I will make peace in my heart, I'm going to do this anyway, before long, I'll develop a theology to make peace with this behavior. Either sex with my girlfriend or looking at porn and masturbating. It's, we're going to find preachers that talk enough about grace and our, you know, you'll find enough theology to justify this position, but you've got to do something with all that guilt and shame from grieving the Spirit of God. And so what do you do? You work hard to find someone else to attack. Something else. Are you with me? But if your heart is like, yes, Lord, I need grace, I need help, then you're going to start knocking down doors and getting help to, to not rationalize this thing that your heart is wanting to choose, but to find ways to bring your heart into the strength of grace that Jesus is telling you is possible here. And there's like, you could like literally name any issue where we're tempted to depart from pleasing Jesus 
And, and people are clever, man. People are clever. It's like, it's like hire a theologian to justify your position. I heard stories about people literally hiring a theologian to write a book to shoot down someone they didn't like their positions. Hey, so-and-so, uh, can you write me a 12-chapter book making the charismatics look like idiots? Yeah, I'll give you 40 grand. And of course they talk like that, like they're in the gang. You know. Yeah, 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 forget about it. Um, that's ridiculous. But no, I literally have heard that stuff. Like theologian for hire. Why? Well, because you have to back up everything with scripture. Someone told me that recently, someone who I profoundly love and respect. They said, well, you've got to back up your views with scripture. And as soon as I heard that phrase, back up your views with scripture, I said, Mm-mm, nope. Everyone backs up their views with scripture. We call it proof texting. You start with your conclusion and then you make your argument to justify it. Everyone does that. People who are right sometimes do that and people who are wrong sometimes do that. But the method is wrong. You don't back your beliefs up with scripture. You form your beliefs in submission to Jesus in relationship with the primary place you hear him being the scripture. And if your heart is like, I will please you, not myself. I will please you, not my church. I will please you, not my peers. I will please you, not my family. I will please you, not my culture. Then you're going to have a really healthy, pure theology. And you'll be unpopular because all who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Meanwhile, wicked people will gain popularity. I'm just quoting 2 Timothy. Heretical teachers will grow a following. I don't know. Should I just stop? I don't. Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.22. Jews are offended that Jesus is a loser because a crucified Messiah is just like, ah. Oh. That's like David goes up against Goliath and just like gets killed. And we go home sad. You know? So they hear in the story and they're like, a crucified Messiah? He's under God's curse. This is just ridiculous. You can't expect me, to believe, expect me to believe this. And Greeks desire wisdom. Well, wait a minute. That's not an intellectually impressive philosophy that you Christians are bringing. It's like personal relationship with the Lord and asking the Lord into your heart and repenting. And Ain't nobody got time for that. Tell me what I already think, but smarter than I could say it. No, for real, what I just said is exactly on the money. People, most people, at least Greeks, just tell me what I already think, but say it smarter than I can. And, ooh, well, this guy's really a great teacher. No, he hasn't taught you a thing. He's told you what you already wanted to know, what you already thought. He just used big words. I, in, in seminary, I developed this idea. Because I had to read these extremely intellectual articles proving really dumb points. Like really, really, like smart sounding guy that used like words bigger than me and knew his Bible better than me and read it in the original languages. All to show that like David can't be trusted and that most of the historical books were just political. um, What's the word? 
Come on, help me out. What's the word when a political ruler puts propaganda? Yep. So this German guy named Wellhausen was like, the only reason that they were against worshiping on all these mountains was because they wanted to solidify their power base using theological justifications. And if, for like, to, in common speak is, they're pretending like God cares a lot about worshiping at Jerusalem instead of all these other places. And the reason they're doing that is so that people will associate David with worshiping God. And he's got the theological power and the political power. And Wellhausen just like, who else taught me that? Somebody else. I think maybe even um, Walter Brueggemann said something like that. And I love Walter Brueggemann. He has got a lot of benefit. But I'm sitting there, I'm reading people who are smarter than me and they know their Bible better than me and they're reading it in the original languages and they're basically saying you can't trust that these books are the word of God. It's just all spin. And I remember reading the article to Carrie and she's like, how do we respond to this? Like she was as convinced as over, she was, that we lost the debate in our mind. We lost, but, but the problem was it, it was dismaying and scary because it was like, well, do we trust our Bibles then? In other words, we were answering questions they so I went to my professor and I'm like, what are you doing? How do we respond to this guy? He's undermining like the, the credibility of the Bible. And he goes, well, you don't have a right to doubt what God's done in your life. And I'm like, that isn't helpful. No, it isn't. You can't shove me off the plank and be like, it's all your fault, you dummy. Gravity, it's not, you know, you don't have a right to fall in the water. You put beliefs in my brain and didn't give me proper understanding and knowledge. And you're like, can you tell me why that's not true? Talk to me later. Our first principle's got to be, I heard Francis Chan say this. He's like, if God in the Bible was like, because Francis Chan's Chinese, he's like, if God in the Bible was like, Chinese people can pray as long as they're standing on their head, then I would be like, that's really weird and inconvenient, Lord. But he's the creator and I'm the creature and I'm going to do that. I heard somebody else say this week, quote, I heard someone quoted someone to me. So-and-so told me, I'm not going to do anything I don't understand. And I just kind of winced. It's like, ooh. Genesis 22. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love. Sacrifice him to me on the top of this mountain, I'll show you. I mean, like, why would God connect this Abraham's the man of faith and Genesis 22 is like the chapter that teaches one of the scariest but also most enlightening aspects of what faith is faith is saying your yes and giving God your trust before you understand and when you don't like it am I saying that God's evil no at what point would you have heard me say that but I'm saying you don't get to decide what is good. Well, actually, you, you pretty much have to decide what you think is good. And you have to make a fundamental break with the, with the idea that your understanding of what's good is as trustworthy as his. So Francis Chan's like, foundational principle number one, if he's the creator and I'm the creature, and he says, Chinese people can pray to me as long as they stand on their head then even though that doesn't make any sense to me and that's offensive to me and racist, I'm going to do it. 
Because all I want is him. And I trust that one day I will understand. Now, God hasn't said crazy arbitrary things like that in his Bible. But there are some things that are in his Bible that will contradict your culture sufficiently that you feel they are as foolish and stupid as having Chinese people stand on their head to pray. And then you're going to have a question in your heart. What will I do? But if you haven't settled that I'm here to please him, not me, then you will be tempted to adopt. I feel like I'm just repeating myself. Let's just finish this. Okay, Hebrews 5. There's much to say. There's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're so spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. It's not a very nice thing to say. (laughs) There's much more we'd like to say, but you guys are just dumb and lazy and out of shape spiritually. So it goes in one ear and out the other's. Because you want me to be mama bird and chew it all up for you. And then vomit it up. But you don't understand how awesome the food is when it's not pre-chewed. Or you'd be done with that. You would be finished with that. Like the, the sermon at the end of the week would just be like a little free bonus. Because you're in, the, you're in the book, man. You're in the place of prayer. You're hearing his voice and obeying. You're like reading whole books of the Bible out loud to yourself while you're pacing and praying. And you're saying, teach me this, teach me this. And you're seeing connections between circumstances in your life and what you're reading in the book all, the, all over the place. You're seeing connections. And I'm not saying it's like electricity going through your body. Ooh, the Bible. But I'm saying you're getting understanding as you're applying what you, what you do understand. I do like Mark Twain. He's like, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible I do. There's much more we'd like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you're so spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen Verse 12 of Hebrews 5, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to start over and teach you the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and can't eat solid food. Someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know. Do you hear that phrase? Doesn't know. No, knowledge, understanding, insight, wisdom doesn't know how to do what's right. Solid food is for the mature who, who through training, training, constant use. And I told Carrie this the other night because we were still processing, like how do we make disciples of our little kids? Uh, meaning, not the kids in the church, meaning our children that we are responsible for. And I said, Carrie, I just don't think it's an issue of us lacking knowledge I just think if you ask somebody how do you get in like how do you get in shape everybody knows diet and exercise nobody wants to do it our problem often is just the simple reality of being undisciplined for someone who lives on milk still an infant doesn't know how to do what's right solid food is for those who are mature who through training NIV I think says constant use have the skill to see clearly between what's right and wrong when we were going through a really tough situation pastorally recently, I remember saying to my wife, these elders are truly mature because I see in them all an ability to quickly and precisely cut between what is right and wrong. 
And that is the evidence that they have been spending their time in obedience to Jesus, in submission to the scriptures. Let's go ahead and stand and pray. Holy Spirit, I I ask that you would enlighten our hearts with a fresh hunger to know you better. I ask, God, that you would give us the desire to desire you. And Father, I'm also asking that we would make healthy commitments and then keep them because of integrity and that because we keep the appointments with you that we've made in our heart, grace comes and fashions and molds us and shapes us. We're not our own handiwork. We don't make ourselves, but we present ourselves to you and you come. When we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you this week to give understanding as we open the book and we read, as we place our hearts in your presence and we talk to you and we listen for your voice as we surrender to you, God. God, make us a people who are personally disciplined and therefore stable and steady, not easily deceived by teachers that sound right but are actually wrong, not insecure about being deceived. Oh my word, I've just seen so many believers are always afraid they're going to be led astray and I just don't relate to it in any way. And I ask in Jesus' name that you would make us a people that are not remotely intimidated or afraid of being led astray because we're so walking with you, yielded with a clean conscience and a sincere faith and a pure heart. I say more, Holy Spirit. We're not trying to reinvent the gospel. We're trying to realize what you've done. God's people said, if you have anything going on, which which wrist is it, Tammy? The right? Okay, right thumb? And the... thumb joint. If, if you have any issues in your right thumb joint, please come let Tammy pray for you after service. All right, love you guys. You're dismissed.